You're listening to the Inspired Legacy Podcast on the Edify Podcast Network. This is episode 89. Put God first. Hey guys, if you're new here, I want to welcome you. My name is Mark. I'm your host and founder of the Inspired Legacy, where we strive to equip and inspire you to leave a godly legacy. Today's show is brought to you by Clicksible. If your business struggles to produce meaningful, relevant, and engaging content, your brand could be suffering. So let the experts at Clicksible take the chore of content creation and distribution off of your hands so that you can focus on running your business. Visit Clicksible.com for more information. Well, unless you've been living under a rock the past few years, you've probably noticed that the political discourse in our country has really gotten nasty. And I guess I should say, you know, politics has always been a dirty game. But for the last, what, 20, 30 years, you know, with the advent of 24-7 opinion news and within the last decade or so, social media now giving the uh, people a platform to share their opinions about virtually everything it's really hard to find people these days who are capable of having a civil disagreement. And from where I sit, I think people who consider themselves to be Christian are probably as guilty as anybody when really we should be the ones setting the example, right? Unfortunately, our willingness to be uh, keyboard warriors uh, or enter into pointless arguments with people who really will never share our beliefs in many cases, this is a negative impact on our ability to be witnesses uh, as the body of Christ, right? So my guest today is Corey Nathan, and he's the host of the podcast, Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. <laughs> I love that title. And in today's episode, Corey discusses how we, especially as Christians, can learn to speak with family, friends, and neighbors with gentleness and respect. And he talks about how he has applied that in his own life from dealing with his Jewish parents as he converted to Christianity. And that, as you can imagine, was a fairly difficult um, season of life for him and how he's applied it to his own circles of influence in life and business. And it's just a really good conversation, one that I needed to hear, because I'll be honest, guys, this is an area where I need a lot of work. Uh, I will admit that openly. And I suspect that a lot of you listening do as well. So I hope you take something away from Corey's message today. Corey, welcome to the show, man. You caught me mid-sip of coffee. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. I was watching you. <laughs> you were waiting for that, weren't you? I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, no, no. Nice to see you, Mark. It's, thanks for having me. Uh, come on. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, before we get into who you are, well, we're going to get into who you are right now. But before we get into what you do, tell us a little bit about who you are uh, family wise, kids, all that stuff. Sure. Sure. Uh, so I've been married to miss Lisa met her in Alabama, 1993, November of nine, November 17th, 1993 was our first date. We got married in 97. So August 24th will be 25 years married. Congratulations. Have, thank you. Thank you for convincing her to continue putting up with me. <laughs> uh, uh, we have three kids of so miss Savannah is going to be 21 in a couple days and then jackie boy is 18 and then emerson the little one is well the little ones are almost six feet tall uh he's he just turned 17 so yeah and then we got two dogs uh charles mingus the third and bailey abigail and all the kids including the dogs have hebrew names just 
just for the record. Oh, right on. Yeah. You're not messing around. No, man. No, we gave them baby names. That was actually, so we're going to get to this, but that was part of the healing process between me and my family. I grew up in an observant Jewish home, went going to an Orthodox synagogue and all that. So yeah. And let's just dive into that. Cause your story is really interesting. And then we'll, we'll get into the, um, I I'll just mention right now that you have a podcast titled talking politics and religion without killing each other. And so a lot of our conversations can revolve around that, but tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to the Christian faith. Yeah, sure. So the, the, the program that we do now in many ways was rooted in that time when I became a Christian. So I grew up, like I said, going to an Orthodox synagogue. We kept, we, we weren't just like Jewish. We were practicing Jews, kept kosher, observed all the holidays, observed Shabbos or, or Sabbath or what have you. Um, and uh, I would say that through my 20s, it wasn't that I didn't think of myself as Jewish anymore. It was just that I had begun to form questions that I didn't find sufficient answers to. Uh, and that was just part of philosophically, theologically where my head was going, but also in life. You know, I got to a certain point, Lisa and I got married. We were starting to think about having kids. So I was looking for mentorship. And one of the fellows that I I spent a lot of time with, did some business with, he was also, he also grew up Jewish, but he became a Christian. So I didn't mind, you know, that was my mindset. Like, Hey, that's your thing. Okay, cool. But I did look to this guy for mentorship. And when it comes to business, when it comes to being a good dad, a good husband, being really uh, engaged in the community. And one of the things that he, he often did was give me books. I was, I'm to this day, I'm still a consummate reader. I can see uh, that behind you. For the, oh, yeah. for those listening, he's got a wall full of books. It's impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just part of my daily routine. I try to get in, even if it's just 15 minutes, but usually it's about a half hour, maybe an hour a day if I have the time. But uh, he would give me these books, and I, they were always these Jesus books. And meaning, like for, for me, what that meant was there was always this like, New Testament scripture or using Jesus as an example. And it was annoying, but I just looked at it, try to overlook our differences and use, look at it as a, a literary example. And I appreciated that because I hadn't really grappled with the person of Jesus, let alone the messiahship of Jesus. Mm. But finally, one day I decided to take him to task over it because it just got too annoying. One book after another, another Jesus book after another. And uh, I said, how man, what's up with you? you? You're like on my squad and now you're on the other team. And he goes, ah, that's, that's funny, Corey. Uh, why don't we talk about it? I said, great. Yeah, let's talk about it. And I was already, I was ready to, you know, come into bear. Like, Rolling your sleeves it. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what he did was he gave me a book <laughs> <laughs> and the book was, uh, you probably know it. It's called more than a carpenter. Uh, Josh McDowell's, yeah. you know, smaller book, maybe 150, 200 pages. And uh, I knew by the title, I'm like, how another Jesus book. What's up, man. I just want to tell you, he's like, listen, I know what it means to be Jewish. You know what it means to be Jewish. I know what it means to be Christian. You don't have the first clue what it means to be Christian. So what are we going to talk about? You, you, you haven't earned your right to have this conversation. So I'm like, all right, man, I'll read your stinking book. So I read the book. And as soon as I was two pages in, it was starting to tick me off. So I just decided to read the rest of the book as quick as I could, took in all the information, and I was thoroughly unconvinced. But at least I earned my right into getting into the conversation with Hal. But here's, here's what it did. If I was being really objective in that moment, like on the one hand, I wanted to um, get armed in a way for that conversation. Yeah. 
because I wanted to find all the holes in whatever theory that he was trying to present. But in another way, it was like this ninja way of getting me to consider the possibility that there's an empirical case to be made for the life, death, and resurrection of this person, Jesus. And now what I believe the Messiah, you know, son, son of God and all that good stuff. Um, so instead of entering into an argumentative conversation, I was still ticked off. I still wasn't convinced, but I called up my mentor and I said, how, what do I do next? So he referred me to more books. Uh, and then from there on, that was um, mid to late spring of 2000. I just had this voracious reading habit. I was I was really searching. I went on to McDowell's bigger book, uh, Evidence of the Man's a Verdict. I started bringing in some introduction to theology, like C.S. Lewis's stuff, Mere Christianity. Uh, somebody introduced me to Ravi Zacharias, who later became a mentor. And that's a whole that's probably a whole other podcast to talk yeah, about yeah. subsequent to Ravi's passing. But um, but uh, you know, just the the concept of apologetics, making a ready defense for the hope that's within you with gentleness, respect, winsomeness. Um, so I got into that, but at the same time, I, because a lot of the, the theology, a lot of the apologetics, the Lee Strobel uh, work that I was reading was unsettling a lot of my assumptions. I decided to start looking for what the answers were, whether it was a non-Christian Jewish answers to this stuff, or just even other world philosophies and religions to see, because the really more important thing wasn't about getting into the argument and proving a Lee Strobel or a Josh McDowell wrong. The more important point were the existential philosophical theological questions that through that process, I was beginning to formulate better. What was it that was really unsettled in me? And it's, it's basic questions that a lot of people wrestle with, whether they're conscious of it or not. It's how did this whole thing start? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with the universe? What's wrong with creation? Am, am I a part of what's wrong with it? Mm -hmm. can, can I participate in being a part of redeeming it? You know, so I began to, I couldn't even articulate it that way, but I was beginning to formulate what was unsettled about, see, I'm always a Jew. I, I can't shake that. Uh, not that I want to, that's who I am at my core. It's my heritage. It's my race. It's my everything. So I never won't be a Jew, but theologically there was something that was incomplete. So when I, I first had to go through the process of understanding what my questions were in a way, God was speaking to me, if you will, through, through other, through mentors, through this other wisdom that I was reading through what I knew from Torah. I had read Torah, obviously, and, and Psalms and Proverbs, wisdom, history. So I read all that stuff. I hadn't read the New Testament. Um, sorry, this is turning into a longer story. No, this is good stuff, man. All that helped me to formulate what the questions were. And in, I think it was October. It's almost like so, you had to figure out what you, what you didn't know before you could start asking questions. Yeah. And then every time I felt like, oh, that makes sense. The, that makes sense. That epiphany opens up a thousand more questions. Yeah. So I just got to the mindset of like, I am not going to arrive. I am just going to accept that this is an ongoing journey. And then in October of 2000, I finally got to the point, see this whole time I hadn't read the new Testament mm -hmm. because for me, and maybe it's geographically where I grew up as a Jew, uh, you know, I, I am one generation removed from like on the Kleinfeld's Merck, my mother's side, 
Uh, our cousins who stayed in Eastern Europe all died in the Holocaust. On my father's side, we all left Eastern Europe. In fact, this is really relevant right now. Uh, my family is from Cherny Ostrov, which is in the middle of Ukraine. Oh, wow. Uh, and they left during a time that has a lot of similarities. Not exa- exactly the same, of course, but a lot of similarities. So my family grew up in the middle of, you know, Bolsheviks warring with czarists who were high, you know, and they were each hiring Cossacks to do their bidding. You know, but my grandmother said the only thing they could all agree on is they all hated the Jews. So that's why we had to leave. <laughs> so um, there's your side. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So October. So because of and, and all of these guys, all like whether it was czarists or even while well, the Bolsheviks were different, but certainly the Cossacks or in Eastern Europe, uh, the, there were a lot of folks who hijacked the symbols and the words of, of, of Christianity or Christendom. So to Jews that fled Eastern Europe and me being only one generation removed from that Christianity, what represented something very different, very averse, very dangerous. So you don't go to church. You don't open that new Testament stuff. It it was, it, it, we still had that residue in our cultural DNA, if you will. So I finally decided, you know what? If I get struck down by lightning just by opening, you know, opening the New Testament, <laughs> so be it. So I opened it up, and how to is uh, my my mentor suggested. Oh, you're going to look at that? Oh, yeah, it'd be a good idea. <laughs> you know, it's so, about time he's thinking. Yeah, yeah, about time. Um, so he suggested James, which was good for me because it spoke directly to me, right from verses one and two, as a Jew, like the twelve tribes and all that. It also spoke to some of the things that I was wrestling with theologically, the faith versus works that he deals with in there was really relevant to some of the questions I was grappling with. So I read James and then I just, I said, okay, I didn't get struck down by lightning. Maybe I should start in Matthew one, started in Matthew one and five chapters in, I get to Jesus giving a sermon or not a sermon. It was more of what, as a Jew, I recognize as a Devar Torah, uh, which is, um, when you, when you read from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, a rabbi typically gives a Devar Torah or an explanation of what you had just read. I recognize Jesus's talk uh, to his disciples in that point in the story as a Devar Torah. And frankly, without exaggeration, it was the most brilliant Devar Torah I'd ever heard or read in that instance. Uh, but but I, I was hearing it, you know? So that just pulled me in. And, and so I didn't because I was unfamiliar with the New Testament, I didn't put two and two together that this was the famous Sermon on the Mount. Oh. Um, so it pulled me in. I ended up getting through Revelation 22 by that day, the next day, whatever it was. I just kept on reading until I got to the end of the book. And uh, and then it was the next night, middle of the night, three in the morning. I'm still, I'm still wrestling with it. I actually called Hal after I finished uh, my first read through of it. And I said, all right, man, I'm not saying I'm going to do this thing, but if I do, what's the prayer? He's like, what do you mean? What's a prayer? I'm like, you know, there's a prayer. There's a prayer, right? He, he goes, no, I just talk to God. I'm like, no, how? Come on. You, you said you're Jew, you were Jewish, right? So you know how there's a prayer for the wine. There's a prayer for the bread. There's a prayer for the, with everything. Yeah. There's got to be a prayer for the Jesus. <laughs> He's like, no, <laughs> just talk to God. Just talk to him. So I just, I didn't know how to do it. So I, but I fumbled my way through this conversation with Jesus. And I'm like, I, I think you're, you, you're, you're that man. <laughs> you're that Messiah. Yeah. You're Mashiach. I believe it. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what I said, but I know I was fumbling. I, I wasn't used to like just talking to God, but uh, I did, I did believe it. So 
and I, I believed some of the fundamentals and the way that a lot of those questions that I was grappling with were answered just seemed more complete, more coherent, more cohesive with, with, you know, again, where this thing all started, what happened to this, this creation, you know, what, where, where we are in the story, you know, we're both a part of the fallen nature of it. We're part of the problem, but we're also part of that redemption project. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that, that's, so the next day, so Lisa, like I said, grew up in Alabama, uh, but she always went to church kicking and screaming and she was very happy to be with me being a Jew. Like we're not going to church. So I I told her the next morning, I said, Lisa, I I talked to God. (laughs) She's like, what did he tell you? Like to go like to don't go crazy on me. She goes, no, no, no. I I said, no, 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 no. I just, I did a prayer, I think. And, and I, I accepted Jesus. I think that's how you say it. She goes, the first thing she said is, well, if you think I'm going to church every Sunday, you got another thing coming. So it was a little while before she came to the Lord, but uh, yeah. So that's how it all happened. And then, um, well, I got to say, I'll go ahead. The fun began. The fun began. I was going to say, the rest because I had to history. go back and tell my Jewish parents that I, you know, that I became a Christian. So. Okay, so how did that go? Because I was going to ask you about that. Oh, it went great. They were so accepting and <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> no. I was, okay, it's like what? <laughs> no, no, no. So um, I'll tell you what Phyllis said. My mother said first because uh, that that one actually is pretty funny. She, um, I this is after we flew in on a red eye. It was the morning of Thanksgiving. Uh, I actually got baptized on the way to the airport. <laughs> that's cool you're like you're gonna need some of the power of the holy spirit brother let's go <laughs> let's dunk you baby um so uh i went and uh red eye got to my parents house in jersey and uh had this two-hour talk with my dad but after and he was his reaction was very subdued in that moment his reaction really came a month later when he sent me this 10-page single-spaced letter outlining all of the reasons why i can't become a christian why i mustn't become a Christian. And it was like just every angle, historical, filial obligation, emotional, all these different ways that he was attacking it. Um, but uh, Phyllis's reaction, when he said, now you're going to have to go in and tell your mother. So I went in and told Phyllis and uh, she didn't respond. I said, mom, I'm just going to come right out with it. I, I became a Christian. I'm a Christian now. She didn't respond. And uh, she was working on her computer and it was like her hands like floated up in the air and she just kind of floated into the other room. And I followed her. I'm like, mom, did you, did you hear what I said? I'm a Christian. And she couldn't, she couldn't find the words. She, so she said, she said, I'm sorry. I just never thought I'd have a son. And she didn't know what to say. And she finally said, who is walking with Jesus. (laughs) So, um, Say, yeah, you know, that's uh, we could talk about it if you want, but that's what it is. And then she calls out to my father and she goes, uh, and this is really interesting. She goes, Ronnie, do hast? She speaks sometimes, she she mixes in a little Yiddish. Did you hear? Uh, she goes, Ronnie, our son is a born again Republican. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, where, where, did, like, we're not, how did you? That's so, the stereotype, huh? Yeah, totally. Um, she was, she, I don't know which one she was more concerned about me being a Christian or, you know, me being a re- Republican to her, it was one and the same. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, my dad's getting back to my dad's letter. It was interesting. Like I said, this series of events in many ways led to me starting talking politics and religion without killing each other. Um, 
so yeah, so I started answering him. I had already begun training in apologetics um, and started in my sort of white belt version of it, trying to engage with my dad paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence. Training. What do you mean? Did you go like formal education or just kind of self-taught? Yeah. So RZIM, I I became, I I actually started supporting the ministry even before I became a Christian. And, um, and I started going to seminars, uh, flying all over the country. I did a couple of, um, you know, multi-day, even multi-week training sessions. Uh, And again, this is a whole other issue uh, with Ravi, but the fact is that I ended up connecting with guys like Stuart McAllister with uh, LTJ Chandran, with any number of other, um, I, I became I became friends with uh, with his kids, um, with the, and supporting Naomi's ministry, Wellspring International. Uh, but it was Ravi was a very public face of that ministry, but it's hard to even talk about it because one person. Can can bring down an entire ministry, yeah. and and put a whole different um, sheen, uh, tragic uh, set of um, events that that just it, it it takes the foundation out from all of the work that was being done. But and it's unfortunate because that was an incredible ministry, you know. And for, for, for what it's worth, like look, number one, there are victims, and it, that has to be acknowledged, and. Um, in, in, in these sets of incidents, just like there's sin in the world, there's sin in, in, that that we're we observed and and even in some ways are culpable of. So, to the degree that we can participate in redeeming God's creation, these are very um, immediate, uh, real world incidents where we have that opportunity to participate in 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 some redemption and some healing. Uh, so again, we're starting to get into kind of our theological outlook or social outlook here, but um, but the the point to this to this part of the story is that there are so many other individuals who are doing great work, who still do great work, who are equipping the saints, and I was definitely among them. I benefited, if nothing else, even if it didn't have anything to do with the rest of my work in church and ministry, uh, in in my vocational endeavors. Uh, it, it actually did. It, it equipped me to have great conversations with people that I work with that would never have a conversation with people who are going to church. Um, so, but even if it didn't do any of that, it helped me learn how to talk to my father, mm. you know, uh, what, um, from, you know, the baseball documentary, what's his name? Bob Costas at one point says, when I couldn't talk about anything else with my father, I could still talk about baseball. That that was very much the nature of our relationship for the better part of three years, but in a strained way, we still kept that that conversation going, and it was that initial letter that was prompting it that I was I was trying to respond to, and I was trying to embody what I was learning, uh, not just uh, like I said, not just from Ravi, but from you know other other scholars, other apologists, um, other folks who knew how to engage the culture, um, engage our friends, engage our family mm-hmm. in these meaningful conversations. Have your parents so, since come to grips with the fact that you are a Christian now, or is that an <laughs> ongoing issue? It, it's it, in some ways it is. Um, I think my mother finally got to the point where she learned how to ignore it and hope that it goes away. 
kind of like a low-grade fever. Yeah. Uh, my dad and I have actually evolved in our relationship to where he uh, – so we got to a point where we could like um, recommend books to each other uh, and continue writing back and forth. We'd have these great conversations, you know, once. So I was referring before to my kids. So when Savannah was born, we had a baby naming and that was like, right. That, I think that was the first time I had seen them after that Thanksgiving when I first told them. So things were still very tense, but it was a, a Jewish ritual um, to welcome this baby into the world. And I talked to my pastor and said, yeah, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing unorthodox about that, or there's nothing unchristian about that. So go get them, you know? And then when the boys were born, um, each of them, we had a traditional bris, uh, you know, that on the eighth day, the boys have a ritual circumcision. And again, I talked to pastor Tom and pastor Mike, my, the, uh, the guys that I was going to church with and Hey, is this, is this at odds with what my beliefs are now? And <laughs> wisely they said, Hey, let's look at scripture. Let's see what it says. So we did, we just kind of flipped, you know, did, did some studies and no, this is actually great. This is actually edifying. And, <laughs> and, uh, Pastor Tom and, and uh, who subsequently passed away and, and Mike uh, came to the, to the, um, to the Brit Mila and my dad and Mike Gaston ended up becoming very, very dear friends. And it's like Mutt and Jeff. Cause uh, Gaston is like six, three, six, four. My dad's about five, five, you know, Mike is this um, really, really uh, not just theologically, but politically very, very conservative. My dad is like left of left liberal activist, but they're best of friends. So that kind of thing, you know, telling my family that I honor my family by doing the bris for both Jackie Boy and, and uh, Emerson um, and bringing my family together and then inviting my church family there. And that was all part of the healing process. So my dad, through our conversations, through relationships with guys like Mike and, and uh, Pastor Tom's oldest son is one of my best friends, Tommy Givens. He's evolved his view of who Jesus is. Now, he's not a Christian. But he would say that Jesus is a Messiah candidate. <laughs> he was uh, what's called a tzaddik, like the great rabbi of his generation. He also says that Jesus was a prophet in the you know, tradition of Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the great prophets, and should have been embraced by non-Christian Judaism as such. And the thing, the thing about the Messiah candidate for the when he first said that, he said, but he was a failed Messiah candidate and just left it at that. But then later, when we revisited the conversation, he said, I still think he was a failed Messiah candidate, but the failure wasn't his. The failure was the failure of the people of Israel. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So, like, if you really think of that's a very nuanced understanding of who Jesus is. Yeah. You and know, now we would disagree. We would say that he, no, he's Messiah and he's yeah. risen Lord. But, um, He's really put a lot of thought to this. Uh, and that, that's so that's what that's where he is now. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. That's interesting. And I would say that your story probably uh, reflects that of many people who have come to faith. You know, I, I know uh, 
people who used to be atheists and they came to embrace Christianity because they started off by just asking questions and investigating. And like you said, the more you discover that opens the door to more questions and it just kind of, that's the path that you follow. And so that's, uh, I don't think your story, it's, it's an interesting story, but I don't know if it's that unique necessarily. Um, and that's not a bad thing. And no, I no, it, I hope, I hope not. I hope folks are curious, spiritually curious, intellectually curious, you know, emotionally curious. And that's, that's, you know, the first command, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if your heart, soul, mind, and strength are all alive, you know, and engaging with God, even if before we accept God, even if we, before we accept Jesus as Mashiach, these things that we, God still created us with these dimensions of who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. So if we're engaging on that level, that's a good thing. It's like the, the coming attraction, if you will, of, of what's to come. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. I want to pivot to politics a little bit more because when you reached out and asked if you could be on the show, I was pretty excited because right at that time, um, COVID was still very much dominating the headlines. It's magically disappeared now. Uh, you know, <laughs> U- Ukraine was heating up, midterm election banters heating up. And I've talked about my struggle with politics in previous episodes. Um, I know that I am not walking the Christian walk when it comes to expressing my disdain for some of the things happening in our country. Um, and so again, I was just, I was just really excited uh, when you reached out and I know that James one 19 says, uh, we should be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger because anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God, but society as a whole, I'm painting with broad brushstrokes. Um, we just seem so deeply divided on almost every issue when yeah. you're just talking, you know, Republican and Democrat, I know there's some nuanced other perspectives sure. out there, but for me, there's just some issues that again, just, this is just me. I have a hard time. I just don't understand how a Christian can support um, some issues out there and still call themselves a Christian. So how do we find common ground? How do we even talk about this when we're so, in many cases, so diametrically opposed to each other's views? So first, can I ask you to read James 119 again? Uh, I paraphrased it, but it's quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Yeah. So quick to hear, that's a, that's a good start, right? So I think one of the way we have to reckon with where we are at. And when it comes to politics, for one, I think if you've only come to understand a point of view or understand a, even a, a group of people, let alone the individuals who make up that group, through your own bubble that's separate from that group, or separate from those views, if that's the only way that you've heard about it. So in other words, uh, let me put it in a different way, not outside the church. If you're learning about the left from Tucker and and, and, Sean, and Hannity, yeah. you can be sure you know nothing about the left. Yeah, for you sure. You know nothing about people who have uh, views that that are left of center. Yeah, and vice versa. Exactly, exactly. So I, so I, I occupy two very, very different worlds. Vocationally, most of my life, most of my adult life, I've been in the entertainment industry. Um, I have a couple other businesses, but the, the, the one that I started right about the time I became a Christian entertainment industry. And then obviously I'm ensconced in the church. These are, they couldn't be two more. And, and my church is in, uh, we're in Santa Clarita Valley, which is about 30 miles North of LA, but I might as well be in Idaho. 
Um, <laughs> Santa Clarita Valley is Johnny, John, uh, John MacArthur's Valley. It's where Masters, College, Masters University is. Mm. So we are a certain type of, you know, our Christianity is like, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you know Johnny Mac, but <laughs> a little a certain, bit, a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say everybody it's fundamentalist, but I would say that a lot of folks who go to masters, who are part of grace, Com, who go to grace, uh, Baptist where, where we went to church, um, they're fundamentalists who populate. <laughs> so, but all that to say, it's very, very, two very different worlds. Yeah, for so sure. when I'm talking to my friends, a lot of my friends in the entertainment industry, um, uh, it's amazing how little they understand my life and, and, um, the, the views of, of my dear friends, my brothers and sisters from church. Um, it's also amazing how little my friends from church understand the, the views of the individuals who are my friends in the entertainment industry. So that's why I, that's why I'm saying it's, it's great when I get to have a conversation with somebody in the entertainment industry about why I go to church, um, about why I'm a Christian, about why I believe what I believe. And then to get into specific issues like, uh, was it two, yeah, 2004. So still a baby Christian when uh, prop eight was coming up, um, that, that was the, uh, gay marriage, uh, ban on gay marriage in California. Um, but I got into really, I got into really great conversations with, uh, my friends in the entertainment industry. And it wasn't even about like the, the bill itself. Cause one could come to, even a Christian could come to sort of a nuanced view on that. Like, yeah, this is what we believe. And I don't want to apologize for what we believe, but, you know, uh, and here's the thing, this, this might challenge some of, uh, some of your listeners is that we can still accept the fact that we live in a pluralistic society, that we're still redeeming God's creation, but America as a polity is not, is not kingdom come. Uh, so accepting that we live in a pluralistic society, um, and therefore come to some uh, libertarian views on it while still holding one's the, uh, conservative theological views. I don't know if that's making any sense, but the point is it allowed me to get into really great conversations and even op- open up the Bible with uh, some of my non-Christian friends, uh, some of my gay friends, some of my atheist or non-theist friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and in the process, it also had me questioning my own beliefs, which is good. Because if what I believe is true, it's still going to be true at the end of this exploration. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I can't pretend that I can't. Obviously, I didn't come out of the womb with, with all of the uh, right answers. So for all of us, if, if we're my two biggest convictions is there is a God and I ain't God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so the fact that I'm not God means that I haven't arrived, that yeah. I don't have all the answers. So again, like when it came to Prop 8 in California, it forced me to really examine, why do I believe this? I'm reading Romans 1 or Titus or 1 Timothy, you know, passages in each of them a certain way. So uh, why do I believe this? Let me dig a little bit deeper and see what it means contextually. Who is he writing to? Who is the audience that the, the letter writer was writing that to? What, what was the meaning of this? Is, uh, let me look at the translations. Let me study the Aramaic or the Greek. You know, let me let me look into it. And like I said, if it's true, it's still going to be true on the other end of this exploration. But in the meantime, I also got to open up the Bible with some of my non-Christian friends, you know, and, and we we were able to challenge each other. Um, now, if there was any uh, real conclusion that I came to is th- those lists of 
uh, sinful behavior in Titus. Uh, was it First Timothy or Second Timothy? Oh, I forgot off the top. Do you know the one? On, it's a. It's more about leadership. I think the one in. Um, that sounds sure like first. Sounds like Titus. First, yeah. So there's one in Titus. There's a similar one. I think I want to say in First Timothy. I might be wrong. Okay. Though. But we I, have I homework. Know. We can't just let yeah. it sit. That's <laughs> we got to look it up and make sure. Um, so, uh, but I was looking at those lists of of um, sinful behavior, and I'm like, man, I'm guilty of that one, and that yeah. one, and that one, and that one. You know, and so uh, to get caught up on uh, homosexuality in this instance, I, I think is is a trap because you know we also always need to grapple with what our proclivities are with what are, you know, how we're participating in, you know, in not redeeming creation and not redeeming relationships and not bringing, you know, so, um, yeah. So gosh, I, I went off on a tangent there, but I, I, I don't know if that, that answers some of what, what you were asking about. Yeah, no, I, it definitely touches on a lot of it. And as you were talking, I, I guess in my mind, I keep going back to the uh, verse that I cited, James one nineteen, the answer to my question is pretty much spelled out right there. Yeah. Like you said, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, um, get our information from multiple sources and not just live in our bubble. Right. Yeah. So that, that would be my encouragement or, or even exhortation is to, it, so if you want to learn about a point of view, find an individual who holds that point of view and learn about it from them. And I'm not, what I'm not talking about is getting into a Twitter war or a Facebook comments war with somebody. Um, and the nature of the conversation, what I'm not talking about and what's bad for our cultural health, it is all of these contests thinking that we're winning some sort of a debate. Mm-hmm. No, I talked to that guy. No, you were debating with it. You were contesting with that guy. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when you, you do that, you're not going to win a friend and you're not going to win anybody over for Christ either. You're convincing no one yeah. of anything. Right. Um, I, I find it more indulgent more often than not. It's it's really not productive. But I found, and listen, I, I have messed this up in so many ways. I continue to mess it up in so many ways. Yeah, same. You know, like th- there was a guy that um, uh, I, we, I, I was, we were in a Bible study together when our kids were being born. We were in um, young, young and marriage class. Uh, what, what do they call it? I forgot what they called it. We called it the, the breeding pit because we were all having babies. Um, <laughs> so we, we were part of this Bible study for a good 10, 12 years. Really good friend of mine. And we did life together. You know, we, we moved other couples and, you know, we, we, were do, we were just bringing meals and, you know, we were doing life together. We were doing ministry together. And I said something this is just recently over the summer. I said something's really, I thought it was just snarky. I thought like this guy knows me. Um, but I just disagreed with his perception. It, it, it must've been something about like the war on Christmas and sorry, like if, if I'm just, I don't buy it. Like, again, like some of your listeners might be like, no, you don't understand, but no, no, no. Sorry. I, I just, there's no war on Christmas. So I must've said something like that. And um, my buddy Rod, like, he, he said something like, we're, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I'm like, we don't have to disagree. You're wrong. <laughs> you know? so, so I probably just came off like a butthead and, and um, he blocked me. He blocked me on oh. Facebook. He blocked my phone. And um, I realized like, look. That's just that, spiritual that, immaturity right there. Well, okay. So what I didn't know is Rod was going through a bunch of health issues. Mm. Uh, I hadn't seen him in, in a while. 
uh, and he was going through all kinds of health issues and he's just in a different mental state. So I didn't know that. So that's another thing is you often don't know what's going on with an individual. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, but what I did realize is, okay, the dude set a boundary for me. I crossed that boundary. He wasn't reading what I was writing as, as you know, funny at, at all. And, uh, and then I realized it wasn't about convincing him about the war on Christmas, whether it's there or not, it was about the relationship. And then my whole objective, my whole mission became about redeeming that relationship. And uh, fortunately, I went through some other brothers that, that we were in that Bible study with and uh, did a workaround and finally, finally got Rod to um, get together with me. And as soon as we saw each other, it was it was so it was we, we both realized how poignant it was to bring that relationship back together and how unimportant I, I'm sure he still feels the way he feels. But to me, that's just not important. It's not important. We're both brothers in Christ. You know, that's important. Our relationship is important. Yeah. What we're doing in the church, what we're doing as, as the as part of the body of Christ is important. Warhunt Christmas and this stuff isn't. So relationships over contentious debates, you know, and, and outside of the church too, because it's your relationships that 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 allow you to nurture, to, to plant those seeds and to nurture those seeds, you know? So that's definitely something uh, something that I learned. Yeah. And I think that what I see a lot of, and I see, I think that, um, it's something that causes a lot of people to trip up on this is because they hold us particular view so closely that they, they argue it or they, they counter it with either too much truth or too much grace where we see Christ is like everything he did. There was an equal measure of truth and grace. And I think that we have lost our ability to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, I think again, is, is discernment is there are times, the times when I, when I had the most trouble as, as someone who didn't come to the Lord until I was 29 years old, like I didn't grow up in this stuff. So some of the tertiary Christian look type of stuff, I didn't, I, it didn't make sense to me. So, you know, and especially when it comes to politics, there are certain default positions that that aren't even tertiary to scripture. They're in some ways counter to scripture. I'm not saying that all the time, but there are times, for example, I was going to a, uh, a sermon series or a series that a pastor was giving in October of 2012. So it was a lead up to, uh, and that was one of my favorite tickets, frankly, the Romney Ryan tickets was one of my favorite tickets, but um, he was talking about immigration. And he was just going explicitly politics. And he took the first part of Leviticus 19 to make the case for a very anti-immigration perspective. And uh, in that instance, it was just, it, it wasn't even like we have to look somewhere else in the Bible. It was like, read the rest of the chapter, dude. And, and you know, the, this default position that a lot of us that happen to go to church together hold sort of an anti-immigration stance. Can we read scripture? Because sometimes it's at odds with this default position that we hold. So I'm saying, you know, I'm saying that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, let's look at scripture. God's talking to us through scripture. And sometimes we are at odds with what scripture is saying. I'm not saying that all the time. There's obviously positions that are very much uh, well-grounded in our, our 
um, you, you know, in the Bible and, and what we know to be true if we're reading it properly and contextually. Mm-hmm. But there are other times when we're off base or we're even prioritizing things that are so far outside of scripture or individuals that are so anti-scriptural virtues, you know, and I'm obviously referring to, you know, I, w- I won't say his name, but, uh, <laughs> but um, we have to reckon with that. And it makes our testimony, our Christian testimony, that much stronger. When we say, yeah, you know, that's just not, that's that, that, those are not virtues. Those are not, I'm not going to do, you know, mental acrobatics to try to justify what he said or what he did or his, his, his character. Um, you know, I'm not going to do mental acrobatics because I decided in advance that whatever it might be that I don't, I don't like the, the New York Yankees. I, I'm just picking something, something arbitrary. Well, there you know, again, it's just people are so entrenched in a particular view. They'll tell themselves anything they need to hear to make sure that they don't have to admit that they're, they're wrong. Yeah. They could just justifying yeah. a priori, you know, positions, your, your to preferences that you've already arrived at. That's, that's not good. It's not good. So, but the, the work that has to be done is, is on oneself first. The, the, the person that you're bringing into the conversation, you know, the, the first, you know, who you are like me, I'm talking about me now. Yeah. I have to reckon with that. Like that experience I just described with my buddy Rod, uh, I do it all the time. So I, sure. I mess up all the time. For sure. Especially if we're talking about something like a moral issue, you know, look yourself in the mirror. Are you perfect before you start, you know, pointing out other faults and or faults in other people? Yeah, exactly. Sure. And it's not to say that because, you know, because I've whatever the, the sin might be, because I'm imperfect in a certain way that I'm disqualified from being in the conversation. That's not it at all. Uh, but we have to be cognizant of those things mm-hmm. because because it allows us to be to to have more grace for the individuals that we're engaging with um, and to make the that encounter more about the relationship than the transaction, mm-hmm. you know? So much of what we do, and maybe this is part of who we are as as men, is we're often focused more on the transactional as opposed to the relational. But the more the the, the big the greater harvest is in the relational when mm-hmm. it comes to human beings, mm-hmm. when it comes to 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 uh, to us. So let's uh, let's apply this to a particular topic. If, if you're okay. willing to do this, you touched on immigration earlier and I don't yeah. have like a hardcore stance on this, but my default stance is like, I do believe that we should take as Christians, take care of those who seek, you know, refuge, who need help, who need aid. We should be there for those people. At the same time, I believe in the sovereignty of our nation and, you know, borders exist for a reason. So how do you, how do you approach that? Or where, where do you fall on that? Let's just, you know, open the hood. Where do you fall on that? Right. So, and I'm not looking I to always, get into a debate here, but I kind of want to see no, this no, no, in no. practice. So just so you know, I always try to start with scripture. I always try to start theologically. Where, where do I come out on this? <clears throat> and then what does that look like in practice? What does that look like? We're in the world, but not of the world, but we're still in the world. So what, what does that look like in practice? I also try to keep in mind, what does this look like? On, I can say the issue, but g- g- t- tell me about a piece of legislation or tell me about an action that's happening that I have any say in or I'm participating in or should be participating in, should be protesting. So to say that I am pro-immigrant or somebody else is anti-immigrant, that's just not a healthy way of looking at it. Mm. To say, uh, you know, 
I'm pro second amendment and somebody else is anti. It's not a healthy way of looking at it. Tell me about the legislation. Tell me about the action. That child separation policy at the border. I, I am not for it. You know, um, I probably, you and I probably fall closer in line at the end of the day. Like I look at, I look the Leviticus 19. If you were just to look at a Leviticus 19, you might come to like an open border philosophy. But what I will say is that um, fast forward to Jesus's ministry. He was often going outside of Israel. He was often going to um, neighboring territories or, or um, groups of people that were ostracized and outcast from the people of Israel, not to become a part of them, right. but to welcome them in, to bring them back in. So, you know, I, I don't know if you can necessarily translate his um, healing. Was it the healing of the woman at the well? Was, was she the one who was the Samaritan woman? Am I, am I remembering that story correctly? He healed a woman. There were a couple of women at Wells. uh, Now you've got me second guessing myself. We have a lot of homework to do because we can't let this just be kind of uh, nebulous in our brains. We have to look it up. Um, So I'll, I'll, if you, if you hit me up in a couple of days from now and say, Hey, did you look those two passages up just to make sure that we're on the right track? Right on. Um, I'll do the same, but um, yeah. So, but he would, or, you know, the, the parable of, of the good Samaritan, um, or going to uh, what was the area where he cast the pigs into the sea? First of all, they were pigs. They were swine. They were unkosher. So he's often going outside of the borders of Israel to welcome them back in. Yep. Right. To to so I don't know if you necessarily translate those stories and those instances in Jesus's ministry to an open border policy, uh, but I can we can look at it as as instructive. It's certainly not you know. <laughs> you, you look at, you look at, uh, the, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to get myself into trouble because I keep on going back to that when, uh, Trump went down on the, uh, came down on the, the golden escalator and, and his talk right after that, <laughs> you know, like, look, that's, that's, that's where I just, he lost me way before. Cause I'm from Jersey and a lot of my buddies did like, were contractors on some of the stuff he was building oh, in Jersey. Sure. So I knew back then, like back to the New, Jer- New Jersey generals who this dude was, but um, you know, but that talk that he gave right after the golden escalator thing uh, was like, nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not with you on that. You know, and then some of his actions through his administration, I, I really was, was opposed to, but I do think, you know, again, we're in this world, not of this world. So there, there are practicalities uh, that, that we have to balance with, safety uh with our a certain dominion um with uh reasonable uh Im- immigration policies uh so so there is some practical issues that we have to balance with wanting to take care of the poor wanting to welcome the immigrant wanting to welcome the widows and the orphans so did i did i get myself out of that picklish yeah. picklish you, thing yeah you did you wiggled <laughs> your way out of that very nicely <laughs> Yeah, uh, man, this has been really good. I feel like I could l- just listen to you speak on this for like another hour because you're clearly you're smarter than I am. But uh, you you talk about this on the regular, and so I encourage everybody listening to check out your podcast. Um, again, it is uh, talking politics and religion without killing each other. 
a lot of good guests, uh, a lot of good topics. Um, before we wrap up, I want to pivot real quick. And, um, I try to ask everybody about legacy. I talk about legacy quite a bit. And when we hear that word, a lot of things come to mind to different people, but when you think of an inspired legacy and if Corey were to leave an inspired legacy, what does that mean to you? Well, it starts close to home, obviously, you know, we spend most of our time, hopefully, uh, with our, our wives and our kids. So listen, it's a hard question for me because my kids are a different age. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they're young adults, they're expressing their independence and just to be really candid, I think a lot of what I did as, as a, as a young adult myself and as a young parent, I would do very, very differently. Now I would focus a lot more in delighting in my children than in the illusion that I can somehow manufacture a certain result. Mm. Um, so, but every day is a new day. Every moment is a new act of creation. So I'm focusing on delighting in my children now to make a hospitable home for them that they're looking forward to continuing to be around our table and being with each other if nothing else. And then to be able to not too long from now, perhaps within the next 10 years, I would guess, uh, look at them doing the same thing yeah, uh, and understanding what transcendent virtues are, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-respect or self-control um, and self-respect, but that's not the fruit of the spirit. But, um, but, you know, if you're living that out, that's a, that's a pretty good start. I'd like to think that in all of my endeavors, vocational and avocational, that I can participate in redeeming relationships, redeeming conversations, redeeming relationships, and participating in God's redemption plan. Particip you know, in Judaism, it's called tikkun olam, healing the world. You know, as Christians, you know, we have the, the great commission. So, I hope that in all of my endeavors, I am manifesting that and, and just, you know, I'm one little tiny part of the body of Christ. So I'm hoping that I can, I can uh, execute well, <laughs> whichever part of the body of Christ I am, I can execute well. So that's what comes to, that's a great question. So I'll have to think more about that, but that's, that's what comes to mind. Yeah, man. Well, that's good stuff. And there's no right or wrong answer. Um, I want to thank you for your time and your insight. Uh, you're, you're an interesting guy to listen to, and I, I appreciate all, uh, what you bring to the table. Tell people where they can find your podcast or follow you online. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you asking. Easiest way to find us is politicsandreligion.us. The and is spelled out, politicsandreligion.us. And then on uh, the socials, we're even on TikTok. <laughs> Run, but all the Twitter and all that, it's TP and R pod. Uh, for talking politics and religion, T P A N D R pod, T P and R pod. Yeah. Right on. Well, we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Corey, thanks again, man. This was a lot of fun. Mark, I really appreciate getting to talk to. Like I said, I listened to. I've been listening to you for you know for a while now. So getting to talk to you directly, this is a this is a real treat. Guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show so you don't miss future episodes like the one you heard today. 
And be sure to check today's show notes for all the ways you can stay plugged into the Inspired Legacy, including my free download called Nine Ways to Be a Better Dad. You can sign up for my free weekly devotional called Inspired Inbox. And you can join the private Facebook group, a community of other like-minded men looking to become the best husbands and fathers they can be. So get plugged in, like, subscribe, leave a review, and help more guys find the show because we need more men battling together for the sake of the next generation. Until next time, live inspired.